Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. In 1595, Sir Walter Raleigh's quest for the New World's fabled City of Gold led him on an exciting adventure in search of the legendary and mythical sparkling city of El Dorado. El Dorado is applied to a legendary New World story in which precious stones were found in fabulous abundance along with gold coins. The legend of the seven cities of gold became mixed with the stories of El Dorado, which was sometimes said to be one of the seven cities. Sir Walter Raleigh, of Roanoke fame, would take up the search for the mythical kingdom. Before Sir Walter's attempt, Spanish conquistador Francisco Vasquez de Coronado led an expedition from Mexico through the southwestern USA in search of the fabled cities of Cibola in the 16th century. He had hoped to reach the continent's El Dorado, located throughout the pueblos of the New Mexico Territory. Walter Raleigh was an English statesman, author, soldier, explorer, and a favorite courtier of England's Tudor queen, Elizabeth I. One of the most notable figures of the Elizabethan era, he played a leading part in English colonization of North America and helped defend England against the Spanish Armada. He was the younger half-brother of North American explorer Sir Humphrey Gilbert and a cousin of Sir Richard Grenville. In 1594, Raleigh heard of a city of gold in the New World and one year later sailed across the Atlantic Ocean to find it. Sir Walter Raleigh and the Quest for El Dorado Gold was the beacon that lured the Spaniards to America, and dazzling stories were told by them of the riches of the countries they explored. Guiana, the northeastern section of South America, was looked upon by the Spanish adventurers as the hiding place of this fabulous wealth. Trinidad lies at no great distance from the mainland, but stormy weather assailed the voyagers, and they were glad enough to enter one of the mouths of the river and escape the ocean billows. But here new troubles surrounded them, the nature of which Raleigh described later in his account of the expedition. He wrote, If God had not sent us help, we might have wandered a whole year in that labyrinth of rivers ere we had found any way. I know all the earth does not yield the like confluence of streams and branches, the one crossing the other so many times, and all so fair and large, and so like another, as no man can tell which to take. And if we went by the sun or compass, hoping thereby to go directly one way or the other, yet that way also we were carried in the circle, among multitudes of islands. Every island was so bordered with big trees, as no man could see any farther than the breadth of the river or length of the branch." The Indian pilot proved to be useless in this medley of waterways, and only chance extricated the voyagers from the labyrinth in which they were involved. This chance was the meeting and capturing a canoe with three natives, who became friendly when they found they had nothing to fear from the strange white men. One of them was an old man who knew the river thoroughly, and whom presence and kind words induced to guide them past their difficulties. Resting that night on a little knoll on the wooded banks of the stream, they were off again early the next morning. The river was still swift and violent, broken here and there with rapids, where they had to land and pull the boats. There were shoals also, which they had much trouble in getting over, and the banks were so crowded with trees and high reeds that they could not land, and were almost stifled from the closeness of the air. After four hard and weary days of this kind they reached a smoother channel, and could proceed more easily. But their work was still far from easy, for the inflowing tidal waters had left them, and they had the swift current of the river to breast, while the tropic heat grew more oppressive day by day. It was hard work for the gentlemen rovers in that tropical climate, where the dense forest growth cut off every breath of air, and their diminishing bread forced them to be put on short allowance. They began to complain bitterly, and Raleigh had to use all his powers of persuasion to induce them to go on. 
yet the country was in many ways beautiful. Here and there the woods ceased, and broad plains spread out, covered with luxuriant herbage, amid which rose at intervals groves of beautiful trees. Graceful deer would come down to the water's edge and gaze fearlessly on the travellers with their big, soft eyes. On the banks of these rivers, says Raleigh, were diverse sorts of fruits good to eat, flowers, too, and trees of such variety as were sufficient to make two volumes of travels. We refreshed ourselves many times with the fruits of the country, and sometimes with the fowls and fish. We saw birds of all colors, some carnation, some crimson, orange, tawny, purple, and so on, and it was unto us a great good passing time to behold them, besides the relief we found by killing some store of them with our fowling pieces. The adventurers at length reached an Indian village of which their old guide had told them, and here, after the natives had got over their fright and learned that the strangers meant them no harm, they were very hospitably entertained. Thence they went onward, day after day, seeing many canoes on the river, and landing at various villages. One of the canoes contained three Spaniards, who escaped from the effort to capture them, and Raleigh soon learned that the Spaniards had told the natives that the English were robbers and cannibals. To overcome the effect of this story, the greatest care was taken to treat the Indians with kindness and gentleness, and to punish in their presence any of the men who maltreated them. This quickly had its effect, for the news spread that the newcomers were the friends of the red men, and they were rewarded by every attention the natives could bestow upon them. Provisions were brought them in profusion, fish, fowl, and fruit, great roasted haunches of venison, and other viands. Among these were sweet and delicious pineapples of enormous size, the Prince of Fruits, as Raleigh called them. Finally, after they had gone about one hundred and fifty miles up the Orinoco, they reached the point where another great river, the Caroni, empties into it. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The country here was more beautiful than they had yet seen, and prosperous Indian villages were numerous on the bordering plains. The natives had heard of the amicable character of the newcomers, and greeted them with great friendliness, doing all they could to show how they trusted and admired them. With one old chief, named Topiawara, Raleigh held many interesting talks and learned from him much about the country and the people. In return he told him about his own country and its great queen, and one day showed him a portrait of Queen Elizabeth, before which the simple natives bowed themselves as if it were the figure of a goddess they saw. Many days were spent with these people in hunting, fishing, and exploring, but ask as they would they could learn nothing about the land of gold and the marvelous city they had come so far to seek. The old chief told him that Guiana had many fertile plains and valleys, and had mines of silver and gold, but the gold-dust king he knew nothing about. Finally, Raleigh decided to go up the Caroni, three parties being sent to explore its vicinity, while he, with a fourth, rode up the stream. He had been told of a mighty cataract which he was very anxious to see, and this was at length reached, after a long struggle, with the strong current of the river. The cataract proved to be a series of giant cascades, ten or twelve in number. In the words of Raleigh, 
every one as high above the other as a church tower, which fell with that fury that the rebound of waters made it seem as if it had been all covered over with a great shower of rain, and in some places we took it at first for a smoke that had risen over some great town. I never saw a more beautiful country, he continues, or more lively prospects, hills so raised here and there over the valleys, the river winding into diverse branches, the plains adjoining all green grass without bush or stubble, the ground of hard sand, easy to march on either for horses or foot, the birds towards evening singing on every tree with a thousand sweet tunes, cranes and herons of white, crimson, and carnation perching on the river's sides, the air fresh with a gentle easterly wind, and every stone we stooped to pick up promising either gold or silver by its complexion. On the return to the junction of the rivers the land parties had similar stories to tell, and had pieces of gold ore to show, of which they claimed to have found plentiful indications. This story filled the whole party with dazzling hopes. Here, in the rocks, at least, were the riches of which they had heard so much. If El Dorado did not exist, here was the native wealth that might well bring it into existence. The prospectors had done all that lay in their power, and now felt it necessary to return to their ships, taking with them, at his request, the son of the aged chief, who wished him to see England, and perhaps to return at some time to succeed him with the aid of the valiant English. After various adventures the party reached Plymouth again in August 1595, and the narrative of their discoveries was read everywhere with the utmost interest. But many years passed before the explorer could return again. He became engaged in the wars against Spain, and after the death of the Queen was arrested for treason by order of James I, and imprisoned for thirteen years. In 1617, twenty-two years after his first expedition, he returned to the Orinoco, this time with a fleet of thirteen vessels. His release from prison had been gained by bribery and the promise to open a rich mine of gold in Guiana, but the expedition proved a failure. There was a sharp fight with a party of Spaniards at St. Thomas, in which Raleigh's son was killed. As for the gold mine, it could not be found, and the expedition was forced to return with none of the hoped-for wealth to show. And now Raleigh's misfortunes culminated. He had been sentenced to death for treason in 1603, but had been reprieved. The king had him arrested again on the old charge, and the king of Spain demanded that he should be punished for the attack on St. Thomas in times of peace. James I did not like Raleigh, and wished to stand well with Spain, so the famous explorer fell a victim to the royal policy and dislike, and was beheaded under the old sentence in October 1618. Since then, El Dorado has lain concealed in the mists of legend and romance, though mines of gold have been worked in the region which Raleigh explored. Like El Dorado, the myth of the seven cities of gold, also known as the seven cities of Cibola, was popular in the 16th century and later featured in several works of popular culture. According to legend, the seven cities of gold referred to Mesoamerican Aztec mythology revolving around the pueblos of the Spanish Nuevo Mexico, today's New Mexico and southwestern United States. The concept of El Dorado underwent several transformations, and eventually, accounts of the previous myth were also combined with those of a legendary lost city. The resulting El Dorado myth enticed European explorers fascinated by the New World to believe that a hidden city of immense wealth existed. Numerous expeditions were mounted to search for this treasure, all of which ended in failure. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.
The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.